Horses Don't Eat Moon Pies by Pat Conroy, published 1974 in Faces of South Carolina, Essays on South Carolina in Transition, edited by Franklin Ashley. This is part one. The horse is a sacred animal in Aiken, South Carolina. The town pays a religious homage to the gracefully throttled, gently crouped thoroughbreds that graze in their rich pastures encircling Aiken. For the horse has provided the town with an identity, a signature of affluence, scrawled indelibly on the psyche. In McDonald's drive-in on West Richland Avenue, beneath the golden arches, and the sign that triumphantly proclaims the sale of 11 billion hamburgers, the customer gamely chewing on a burger that once digested will bring McDonald's one bun closer to the plateau of 12 billion, looks up from his vantage point beneath the plastic and sees subdued, almost tasteful prints of men in silks racing thoroughbreds, steeplechasers clearing barriers, and men astride muscled ponies swinging mallets at a willow ball. In Aiken, even McDonald's drive-in makes a ritual genuflection toward the horse. It helps sell hamburgers. In the 1870s, Mrs. Lulie Hitchcock lured many of her Long Island friends to winter in Aiken. Mrs. Hitchcock and her friends had a legitimate horsey smell about them. They also had the pungent odors of many dollar bills to recommend their annexation of the town. So they came south for the winter, these night Templars of capitalism, and the winter woods around Aiken soon thundered with horsemen following the baying of hound packs. The townsmen dubbed them the Winter Colony. Aiken was their benighted fiefdom until the Second World War. The soil of the town was holy with the manure of thoroughbreds. Aiken became famous for its polo matches, fox hunts, trotters, steeplechases, and dog hunts. These were the royal families of America, the bejeweled, irascible inheritors of northern wealth who resurrected Aiken from the tragedy of the Civil War. They discovered the town, this sandy, soiled carbuncle where land was cheap, help plentiful, and far from the bitter winters of New York. When the winter colony came to Aiken, it was not only a discovery, it was an ordination. They did not simply find Aiken, they invented it. For 75 years, thoroughbreds, both man and beast, ruled the town. The rule ended, or at least eroded, with the unexpected arrival of the 20th century. As the winter people walked along freshly clipped lawns, splendid in their riding suits, elegant beside their horses, timeless in their disregard for the world outside of stable smells, some egg-headed son of a bitch who probably didn't know a pastern from a coronet split the atom. The world and Aiken would never be the same. And all this was before McDonald's had sold a single hamburger. Aiken is a town of categories. The categories have walls, boundaries, dimensions, and strict, implacable definitions. It is a long climb indeed out of an Aiken category. People like horses, find themselves grouped, branded, herded into preordained corrals and handled according to their bloodlines. A rigorous chain of being exists, although nothing is written down, there is no tablet of laws, but there is. The members of the Winter Colony are still the high Brahmin of the town society, and their rule is unchallenged during the winter season of the Triple Crown. To them, the urine of horses is a day-old wine more precious than the finest Beaujolais 
for it signifies the health of a thoroughbred. Folks will tell you that it is no easy task to crack into the ornate temples of the winter colony. The mansions that house the withering crowd are splendid architectural contributions to the town. Pillared monuments to dying commitments and the unsullied pursuit of the good life. One of the mansions, Joy Cottage, positioned cheerfully on Whiskey Road and Easy Street, has an estimated 90 rooms. In South Carolina, 90 rooms usually means an incorporated town, but in Aiken it is known as a cottage. The pink house flutters with the pinions of exotic tropical birds, and one lady claims she saw on a church tour a butler cleaning up the droppings of a cockatoo as the bird wandered about the house. Since the mansions are only used three months out of the year, they sit like abandoned cathedrals for the remainder of the year. Townsmen tend the gardens that bloom behind massive brick walls. The gardens bloom unpraised. Magnolias lining the dirt roads intersecting the horse district, the legs of thoroughbreds or frail as bone china, flood the town with a sweet perfume foreign to winter colony. The horses and their people depart in April. They never smell the magnolias of Aiken, nor do they savor the richness of the summer grass or the ruined gardenias browning in the hot June sun. These things do not occur in the proper season. The horses have already gone north. At Rose Hill, a black gardener plows some ground in the middle of a formal garden and plants beans in a few rows of corn. He can let the garden weed over now. It is summer, and the garden is his. But in winter, the colony returns. The town fills up with trainers, hot walkers, exercise boys, gadflies, sycophants, and jockeys. The horse people speak a different language, a blacksmith's Sanskrit, and the strange incantations of the racetrack murmurs through the streets and the town comes alive in ways it is not alive the rest of the year. The true winter colonists, the owners of the horses, stay away from the townsmen. Theirs is a closed society. They have as much real interest in Aiken as King Herod had in Planned Parenthood, but they have the mystique and tradition of mythic wealth and extravagant lifestyles behind them, and many a lesser Aikenite would sell his children for horse feed to wrangle an invitation to a party behind the brick walls during the running of the Triple Crown. The town it's adapts itself to the return of the horses. The sports section is stuffed with esoteric data dear to the hearts of horse aficionados. Football and basketball fans steal themselves as they read innumerable essays extolling the hawks, cannons, and fetlocks of a promising thoroughbred. Aiken is one of the few towns in America where the Triple Crown does not conjure up a vision of Carl Yestraminsky, Frank Robinson, or at least Citation. In Aiken, it means the social event of the year. For the winter colony, it means the intoxicating steeplechase of the Aiken hunt meet. It means polo games on dark green fields. It means horse talk through all the waking hours. It is the celebration of horses in the southern capital of equestrian arts. But the Triple Crown is not the domain of the Winter Colony. It is under the aegis of the Chamber of Commerce. The Chamber and the town have usurped the horses from the Winter people. They have sold their town down the river with the horse as their symbol. The Aiken discovered by Luli Hitchcock, presided over by the Victorian figure of Mrs. C. Oliver Islin, blessed by Whitney's, Bostwick's, and Post's, visited by Fred Astaire, Bing Crosby, and Ilya Tolstoy. 
died a little bit during the Second World War and dies a little bit more every year. Old Aconites began to make their move. The old Aconites began at Strut. If you live in Aiken and don't buy your clothes at Julia's, then you're looked down upon, a pretty blonde from the Aiken campus at the University of South Carolina told me. Where do you buy your clothes, I asked. At Julia's, she winked. Old Aikenites are a kind of rarity in the city limits. They are also the proud descendants of those men and women shattered by the South's Gotterdammerung who looked up to find their salvation in the arrival of the Winter People. Indeed, the Winter People supplied an enormous economic boost to the town of Aiken. They even redefined the town in their own image. Now, in this present delineation, it is important to realize that blacks are not members of this critical subgroup. Blacks are just old blacks, not old Aikenites. An old Aikenite is white, and his position in the town is anchored in the premise that longevity is the keenest measurement of tenure and directly proportional to the number of ancestors buried in the local cemetery. Among the old Aconites, one hears the ancient murmur of the tribe. They own the downtown shops. They overwhelm the ranks of the Rotary and Sertoma clubs. They feel threatened by the hordes that overrun the boundaries of their county. Yet they profit by the coming of the horde. The old Aconites are the chosen people, the Israelites. Yet they are blessed with one intrinsic humility, one unspoken area of scraping reverence. Because they are from Aiken, they were suckled on the mystique of the winter colony and their first pablum was the recognition that their town harbored kings and queens too grand to associate with mere villagers. Their noses were rubbed in silks, gold, brocade, brahmins, and battalions of servants, music spilling over forbidden garden walls, polo games, and all the grandiose trappings of America's ruling family. Horses, wealth, and aristocracy entered the bloodstream of Aiken. This trinity invaded the psyche and mounted the battlements of the town's ego. The old Aikenites developed a hunger, and the hunger translated itself into a desire to be made worthy before the horse people. For 75 years, the children of Aiken studied the magic horsemen who rode forth from shingled stables, cantered down dirt roads, and disappeared into Hitchcock Woods. For 75 years, the old Aikenite has lived in all the winter resident. The fruit of this experience has been the development of a social schizophrenia. The old Aikenite feels inferior to the winter colony, but by God, he feels superior to every other bastard that comes into town. It is June in 1973, and the old Aikenite is hitting his stride. I'm old Aiken, a woman told me outside of Julia's. What does that mean, I asked. It just means that I'm old Aiken, she smiled. But you rise toward the horse, he said, at your own peril. An Aiken dentist had purchased several thoroughbreds, and these horses train in stables emblazoned with the memories of the winter colony. One might think that this social breakthrough would be met with universal applause. No. You would have thought that Martin Luther had purchased stock in the Sistine Chapel. The man was climbing like wisteria, and his climb, unforgivably, was a public one, witnessed by the multitudes who wished they could do exactly the same thing. But his bank account was bright as new dentures, and he was soaring into the circles forbidden local people. The town emitted one long hiss of contempt and envy. 
a priest of Tuftikay, had risen and would spend the rest of his life proving himself worthy of the rise. I mean real horse people, the lady said, not dentists. In 1952, Armageddon headed down Whiskey Road, past the mansions and the stables, past the magnolias and the gardens, past the old years and the tired ways. The Atomic Energy Commission had sliced out a huge section of Aiken County for atomic research. The DuPont Company was providing researchers equipment and administrators. Overnight, the population of Aiken swelled from a village of 7,000 to a city of 30,000. When the dust had cleared, when the town of Ellington had gone the way of Troy, when the fences rose, when the guards were posted, when the construction men had left, when the bum plant was in full operation, Aiken had a new and large grouping. These were the DuPonters. They were Aiken's new Negroes, technological Negroes to be sure, but Negroes nevertheless. The winter colonists saw the coming of the DuPonters as the death of the old Aiken, the quaint pine holy town which they had kept time-locked somewhere in the late 19th century. They were right. They passed their disapproval down to the old Aikenites who panicked at the thought of the DuPonters driving the horse people away from Aiken. The horse people had provided jobs and fattened the coffers of many downtown merchants. Aiken could not make it without the horses. So the DuPonters, uprooted by their company, came into the town welcome as a gonorrhea epidemic. Many were Northerners, unaccustomed to Southern ways, and hurt when they found themselves treated like a gathering of lepers on the banks of the Savannah River. Invisible bells rang as they wended their way among the townspeople. DuPonter was a dirty word. The South was as alien to most of the DuPonters as Abyssinia, an uncharted hinterland in the national consciousness. They moved by the thousands into this lyrically beautiful little town that moved slowly in the gelatin of its cranky mythology riveted to a languor that infected the marrow of the entire region. Up north, they had heard their gospel of southern hospitality, but this was not a prime ingredient in their introduction to Aiken. They would have to serve their time, their purgatorio, disembodied from the old Aikenites. So the DuPonters dug in. They had come to live in this town, raise families, and die in this town. Enough Yankees poured into Aiken after the construction of the Savannah River Project to make it seem like a suburb of Chicago. The DuPont plant was the most important thing to happen to Aiken since Luli Hitchcock thought it would be a nice place to come for a little polo. Where are you going tonight? A lady asked. To a party given by some DuPonters, I, I answered. That makes me nauseous, she said without smiling. Old Aikenites will tell you that DuPonters can be goddamn irritating, that they do not understand the Southern way. Scientists from the DuPont plant have peeved local shopkeepers by wandering through stores fingering merchandise and periodically consulting the latest issue of Consumer Reports, which hangs out of their back pockets. Others walk the aisles of supermarkets, clicking away at pocket calculators each time they put an item in their basket. Naked efficiency offends the Southerner perhaps more than anything else, and DuPonters are an efficient group of people. Their occupation of the town lends itself to one profound unsubstantiated, unsubstantiated statistic. There are more PhDs per capita in Aiken than anywhere else in the United States. 
What these interlopers brought with them into this sleepy village was an incredible dosage of brain power. The town's cumulative IQ rose each time a DuPont scientist and his family drove into town. Aiken received into her shaded, flowered, horse-sacred midst the gift of brains. I don't like being put in a category, a DuPonter wife told me. Old Aikenites are always putting us in a category. Though old Aikenites talk about DuPonters with a weary trace of condescension, a powerful irony exists. It was the coming of the Savannah River plant that freed the old Aikenite from the bondage of the winter colony. More than one old Aikenite made a fortune after, du after the DuPonters arrived. The families of DuPont needed houses, clothing, food, luxuries, automobiles, entertainment, and acceptance. Old Aikenite sold them everything but the last item. Acceptance was not marketable. Consumer reports did not list it. You could not add it up on a pocket calculator. You could not derive its formula by studying the periodic chart. The old Aikenites, patronized by the imperious princes and dowagers of Winter Colony, were not about to accept the group of people who had routed the Winter Colony as the most important social force in Aiken County. Instead, they secured their position, circled their wagons, and employing the ancient southern courtesies, the wily old legacies passed down hand-to-mouth for generations, they knew they had risen in the rigidly ordered social structure of Aiken, and in subtle ways and overt ways, they let the DuPonters know that old Aiken was still old Aiken, and DuPont was nothing at all. The DuPonters found themselves unhonored liberators, they were exiled in the sign of the horse. In a strange inversion, the old Aikenites identified with the horse tradition and the horse people and were aesthetically offended by the arrival of the DuPonters, who built tacky suburban houses and demanded roads widened. But it was the southern boys themselves who benefited from these demands. Southern boys got rich because some smartass split the atom. Join me soon for part two of Pat Conroy's essay, Horses Don't Eat Moonpies. <laughs>